you're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Well, as, you, as you've heard, um, we continue our time in the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. But now, um, we, we've kind of started the year looking at miracles unique to Luke, these events where Jesus does something miraculous, like a healing um, and, or, or raising somebody from the dead in response to um, what, what's going on around him. So those miracles, although on, their, on the surface are, are beautiful and brilliant and, and magnificent, they also teach us something about Jesus and his kingdom. But now we're transitioning to uh, talking about parables that are unique to Jesus's, um, the, the gospel of Jesus in Luke. And Parables are, are those short little stories or pithy little sayings that Jesus tells in order to teach about who he is and, and what kind of kingdom he has come to bring. And parables are used by Jesus because they communicate really complex truths about the kingdom of God and who Jesus is in really helpful ways, both, both so that like the common man in Jerusalem can kind of understand what Jesus is talking about, as well as the law professor, like we see in this instance, can understand what Jesus is talking about through the use of parables. Well, that is... So long as they have ears to hear or eyes to see what Jesus is talking about, he'll say often. And even though they're they're fairly simple stories, they're also difficult, right? Many of them are complex. The disciples, for example, often ask Jesus to explain to them what he's talking about in certain parables. Um, And we should be aware of in our context that there were contextual ancient Israelite realities that really informed a lot of the understanding and the teaching of these parables. So we need to do some analysis to understand what Jesus is talking about in his context. And so historically there's this spectrum of approaches to parables. Uh, On one side of the spectrum is the argument that we should take parables almost literally, that parables only mean one thing. Um, that Jesus was trying to teach one specific thing through a parable. And on the other end of the spectrum is the idea that the parable means whatever you want it to mean. Whatever the parable speaks to you in a particular moment, that's what it means. And so as is probably wise for us, we find ourselves somewhere in the middle of saying, well, well, the parables don't mean whatever we want them to mean for my life or your life or our context. But they also they also communicate singular truths with with complex and deep meaning embedded in them that Jesus is trying to convey. So there's something to the layers of, of the difficulty or the, the dimensions of the parables, but at the same time, they don't mean anything. And that's what we see a lot of in one of the most famous parables of Jesus' life, the Good Samaritan. And I'm going to argue this morning that I think it's one of the most misused parables of our day and age. So let me pray for our time, and then we will, we will talk about this parable together. Lord, we appeal to you this morning to be our wisdom. By your Holy Spirit, would you indwell us who follow you, and would you make what is complex or difficult very clear by your Spirit? Would we uh, find ourselves like, like the disciples in the gospel sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his teaching? Not that that that's what's happening when I teach, but that we would hear from the Holy Spirit through your word this morning. I pray that you'd be near to us by your mercy. 
Uh, we need you, and we love you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Well, to understand the parable of the Good Samaritan, we have to analyze the conversation that prompted the parable in the first place, right? Jesus doesn't just, like Jesus does this a lot in his teaching. He'll plop down and just kind of give a parable. We'll have just a chapter start, and it'll say, Jesus stood up and said, this parable, and then the disciples kind of might ask questions about it, or we'll get no kind of unpacking of the parable at all. But this isn't like that. This parable is drawn out of Jesus by a series of questions that are posed to him by this lawyer. And this lawyer is not a lawyer in a civic sense or a lawyer that we would think who's like defending the Constitution in America. Um, he wasn't like a Roman lawyer defending Roman law. He was actually a Jewish lawyer defending the Jewish law. So this would have been somebody who understood all of the Levitical law and understood the Ten Commandments given in Exodus and would interpret and define and help point people to ceremonial, religious, sacrificial law and the civic Jewish law. Um, so he's more like a, a law professor, right, in our day and age. And, and so this is what happens in verse 25. Let's read this again um, with this lawyer and Jesus. It, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So the man stands up while Jesus is teaching, and Luke tells us that the lawyer was testing Jesus, right? And this, this was like a trap. It was like a malicious test, the, the lawyer is trying to trap Jesus into saying something wrong. Because the lawyer is, after all, an expert in the Levitical law. So when asked this question, which I'm sure he was asked before, the lawyer would know exactly how to answer the question, how do you interpret or how do you inherit eternal life? He would have said exactly what he said. He would have said things like, well, you should follow all the law, which is summarized in this way. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. He wanted Jesus to say something other than this. He wanted Jesus to say something like, well, you should just try your best in your context, and that will be good. Or he wanted Jesus to say something like, well, if you just follow me, then you will inherit eternal life. Right? Because the, the lawyer is in no way thinking that Jesus is God. So if Jesus says, just try your hardest, or if Jesus says, just follow me, then the lawyer is going to go, aha, you're a heretic. Heresy. You're not God, so I can't just follow you and have eternal life. And, oh, you just, you just looked over the entire Jewish law, which demands perfection, which we're going to get into, and said, just try your hardest. So Jesus does not take that bait wisely. Um, and he says, well, you're a lawyer. What, what would you say the law is? And the answer the lawyer gives correctly. It, it, it like, you shall love your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this, this answer is correct. This is exactly how Jesus summarizes the law in Matthew chapter 22. It's how the priests would have summarized the law over and over again. It's how lawyers like this one would have summarized the pages and pages of Levitical law and rule and ceremony and civic law. Like, it's how they would have summarized the Ten Commandments, right? Like, love God totally and completely with all of your being, with all of your physical, spiritual, mental, emotional state. Like, love God totally, have him preeminent in all that you do, all that you say. Therefore, you'll follow every single rule, including those that say love your neighbor as yourself. 
And Jesus says, yep, that's the answer. That is the answer. I think it's, it's good to sit with the weight of this command, the weight of the summary of the law, because Jesus doesn't say, and he will never say in all of his gospels, something like, just try your best. Jesus will never, you'll never hear him say something like, do your best, and I will, t- I will acknowledge that you tried your hardest. He never says that. He very clearly says in this moment and all throughout the Gospels, you said it and I've said, love God with all your heart. Love God with all your soul. Love God with all your mind. Love God with all your strength. And if you're doing that, if you're loving God in those ways, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Not just like your neighbor, not just treat your neighbor kindly when you see them. You will forgive your neighbor. Consider their needs as equal to yours. Give them rest and provision like you do with your own body. Love your body and cherish yourself. You will like them. And because we know that Jesus is God, Jesus is not lying here. And what I mean by that is, if you can do this from birth to death, if you can love God perfectly with all your mind, heart, soul, strength, body, if you can do that and you love your neighbor as yourself perfectly from birth to death, then you will, I'm here to tell you, inherit eternal life. Life is for the one who can do that perfectly from birth to death. The problem is... (laughs) It's impossible for any of them hearing this to do that. It's impossible for any of us hearing that to do that. It's impossible for the lawyer to do this. It's impossible to love God fully with your entire being constantly from the moment you're born to the moment you die. And as a result, to love your neighbor exactly as you would love yourself in every instance, in every moment. So the lawyer has a problem, and we have a problem, but here is where things take a turn for the lawyer, and I think it's where our world, like so many things go wrong for so many millions of people in our world because they have the same turn. They take the same turn. It's this little verse, uh, verse 29, it says this, but he, desiring to justify himself, said this to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the question's important, who is my neighbor? But the motive is much more important here. He's seeking to justify himself. Like the lawyer could have heard, he could have said this thing about Jesus, right? Like, oh, okay, um, love God, love my neighbor, okay. He could have heard that and left and said, "Um, I'll try that. And he would have been wrong. We know that would have been impossible to to completely do correctly. Um, Or he could have said, it's impossible to do this, teacher, Perfectly. Tell me, what must, what can I do? What can anyone do? Instead, it seems as if the lawyer realizes this high call, this high bar per, for perfection, for perfect love. And instead of admitting or reconciling with his knowledge that he can't reach that high bar, that that bar is way too high, that the holy God of perfection has set... Instead of realizing that, he asked this question, seeking to justify himself. Well, who, who's my neighbor? He's seeking to justify himself as a man who is, has a profession and, is, um, and is, is concerned with pleasing God on earth. But based on his first question, we know that he's seeking to justify himself for life eternal. Right? The first question was, how do I get eternal life? Second question is, well, how do I who's my neighbor because I want to 
I want to be justified. I want to be found just. I want to be, by the just and holy God, found to have fulfilled the law, which is summarized by love God and love neighbor. And this is the context for the parable. So once we know that context, we can actually read the parable with a new insight. A man seeking to justify himself asks, and this is what Jesus says. And as I read it, I want you to think about your life, and I'll think about my life. Think about how you love your neighbor. Think about who is your neighbor, and let this um, let this put your, you under the microscope a little bit. Jesus replied this, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So this Jewish man, as we've read, is, is robbed and beaten and lays half naked on the road, dying. And the priest and the Levite, both who know the law, to love God, to love neighbor, they would be aware of this law and how to fulfill it. They both pass by. They both consider it too dangerous and too costly to help. He just got robbed. What if they get robbed and beaten and left for dead as well, just trying to help? It's better if they could move along and live to proclaim the law another day. And then this Samaritan passes. And last week we talked about who Samaritans were because that healed leper who returned to Jesus in gratitude was a Samaritan. But, but let me just give you a reminder. In some, the Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Right? The, the Samaritans were a mixed ethnicity and the Jews considered them defiled. Jews hated Samaritans on many levels, and Samaritans hated them back. When Jesus was six, for example, uh, around the year when Jesus was six, a group of Samaritans broke into the Jewish temple and defiled it with human remains. They took body parts and brought it into the holy place of the Jews. This is not some rivalry between high schools. It, it, it was a deep division of hatred among these groups. And I said last week, Jews would take the long way around when passing on these roads as to not travel through Samaria because to travel through Samaria was to defile yourself just in proximity to the Samaritans. It's these two men who have this experience together, a Jew and a Samaritan. And it's the Samaritan, Jesus is teaching to a Jewish lawyer, right? It's the Samaritan who has compassion for his enemy, the Samaritan who looks on his enemy and has compassion and binds up his wounds and cleans him, the Samaritan who looks on his enemy and lifts him from the ground to his own donkey to leads him to an inn, the Samaritan pays for his stay at the inn. The two denarii would have been uh, about two months of rent in the inn. And the Samaritan who says, next time I pass back through, I'll pay for any extra expenses that you've incurred in treating this Jewish man. Jesus tells the story and presents the lawyer with a question, which this is like, uh, this is righteously snarky Jesus. Which of these three 
do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Who do you think is the neighbor? And the lawyer answers, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, go do that. Go do that. You go and do likewise to every neighbor, to every person. Do that. I don't know how you feel hearing this story. Maybe some of you are like, man, I'm encouraged to go like help more people. I'm encouraged and I feel amped up to go help more. I'll tell you how I feel. I feel inadequate. I feel like a failure. I feel like I don't live like this. I feel like I won't be able to live like this. To every person I encounter who has need, how could I live like this? And I was thinking about this. Like, I love my wife, Micah, more than any other human on the planet. And often, maybe even daily, I choose my own comfort over hers. I choose to not acknowledge her needs or comfort in order to acknowledge my own needs and comfort. If that's true of the person I love the most on the planet, how, how could I ever love, let alone my friends, let alone my children, let alone strangers, let alone my enemies, to the extent that Jesus is talking about? I hear this parable along with everybody else in the world, and I think the separation between me and the Samaritan, the more I think about my life and his grows wider and wider and wider and wider and wider, the more I realize who I am. But our world, and this is where I think people misuse this parable, our world hears this parable and thinks that's a great moral guide. And it is, it is a great moral guide, but it's not just that. And I think the reason this is such a profound parable of Jesus, and it, it touches something in all secular or Christian or Muslim, it touches something in everybody in the world when they hear this parable for the first time. It's because we were made to love like this, and we were made to be loved like this. We were made to experience the love that the poor Jewish man sitting on the side of the road, laying there half dead, experiences as a result of the Samaritan. And we, there's something in us that hears about what the Samaritan is doing and, and all the love that he pours out. And there's something in us that says, I want to love like that. I want to love my enemies like that. We don't have record of how the lawyer reacts to Jesus's words here. We don't have any indication of how he left the conversation. I think he leaves Jesus a lot like that rich young ruler does. That you've heard this parable, a rich young ruler, a rich young man uh, encounters Jesus and asks the same question, teacher, how will I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, follow the law. And the rich kid says, I have followed the law. Uh-oh. And then Jesus says, Okay, you have, except I have this against you. You haven't loved your neighbor. And this, Jesus doesn't say that literally. He says this. Okay, go sell everything you own and give it all to the poor. Jesus says radically love your neighbor. And the account of the rich young ruler is this. He left disheartened by the saying and went away sorrowful before he had great possessions. I think the lawyer left feeling disheartened, the type of love that Jesus is talking about, this perfect sacrificial love. He, he could not do it. 
right? Like maybe he could live, maybe you can live your life in a way that, that once or twice a week, if you encounter somebody who's poor, you might have compassion on them and, and you've got a little extra time or maybe a little extra cash. And so in that moment, you can help out. Maybe you can walk them into the grocery store and buy a meal. Like a lot of y'all in the room probably have experiences like this and you think, yeah, I've, I've done something like that. But I guarantee you don't do it every time because I don't do it every time. And the lawyer doesn't do it every time. Like, we can't love like this. It's too, it would be too emptying of ourselves to, to pay for somebody's groceries every time we go to the grocery store and pay for somebody's gas every time we go to the gas station and pay for somebody's lunch every time we go buy lunch, pay for somebody's rent for two months every time we encounter somebody who's on hard times. We can't pour out like this. We're finite. There's nothing, I, I get to the end of myself pretty quickly That's why I think this parable, it it exposes me a little bit, and I think it's meant to crush us a little bit in a good way. That's why I think, I said at the beginning, I think this parable is misused, because in one sense, our, our world would say it's a fantastic moral guide. In one sense, that's true. It would be amazing if everybody lived and treated each other in the way that the Samaritan treats the Jewish man who is robbed, right? Like, if everybody did that always, there would be no war, no homelessness, no poverty, no needs unmet. There would, society would be in perfect harmony constantly because everybody was so concerned with the needs of other. So in one sense, it's, it's a moral guide, but, but if that's all it is, then we're always going to feel like we can't measure up. Unless we just think, well, I just, I'm, the gospel is to try my hardest. I think that's a bad gospel, and I'm going to get there. Two, the deeper level of this parable, it, and we know it's the deeper level of this parable because, because of the context. The lawyer wanted to justify himself. The deeper layer of this parable is that it's meant to expose our inability to love. We aren't able to love perfectly in this way, and that's what our world misses. They say Jesus was a teacher, and he's showing what we should strive for, but the lawyer didn't ask what's a good way to live. The lawyer didn't ask what's a, what's a good model to follow. The lawyer didn't ask, like, can I just try my best? No, the lawyer wanted to justify himself. He said, what does a perfect and holy God want me to do? And Jesus' answer is love perfectly always. And Jesus' purpose in saying that is to say, you cannot justify yourself by following this. You cannot, there's no way to work your way into this. The parable is meant to expose us for who we really are, unable to love in this perfect way constantly with everybody we encounter. It's impossible to justify yourself. We can't justify ourselves. We can't try our hardest. We can't do the best with what we've got. It will not cut it. This is at the core of Jesus' message in the four Gospels. Right? A lot of our world believes that Jesus was a great teacher, but, but his teaching is totally missed. Right? His, his teaching isn't try your hardest. His teaching in all four Gospels is be perfect. So if our world really grappled with Jesus' teaching, I think they would think, this is pretty radical and this is un, we can't, we can't measure up. It's bad news if Jesus is a teacher for his teaching to be, be perfect. 
unless Jesus is God. Unless Jesus is God. It's bad news that Jesus' standard is perfection unless he is God. And this is the beauty and the mystery of the gospel. Jesus isn't just the teacher. He's also the justifier. He's the God who can justify the lawyer. He's the God who can justify us. You see, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is the good neighbor. We are poorer in spirit and status than the man on the side of the road, the man who has been robbed and is naked and near death. We, we might not physically look like it. We might not physically feel like we need help from our neighbor, but because of sin and shame, we are all much nearer to death than we realize. We're much more naked and much more ashamed than we realize. We need a good neighbor to love us enough to heal our wounds. We need a good neighbor who loves us enough to to help us even though we're his enemies. We need a good neighbor to carry us to refuge and rest. We need him to pay for our stay in a place of refuge and rest. And we need him to pay for any future debts we might accumulate. And as we who have faith in Jesus, if we experience that healing, we experience that refuge, we experience that rest, we experience that forgiveness, as we experience that unimaginable love that's unfathomable, as we experience that, then and only then do we have access to the type of love Jesus is talking about. Then and only then can we even fathom to turn in our own lives and offer love to those who need it. Love for our enemies, even. Anyone can love friends. Anyone can love the innocent. What about your enemies? What about loving those who have hurt you and offended you? You can't offer this type of love and forgiveness unless you've received this type of love and forgiveness. You can't come close to the type of love Jesus is talking about unless you first recognize that the type of love Jesus is talking about is impossible for us to reach until you realize that you need somebody to justify you. You see, if we come to Jesus and ask, how can I justify myself, and we really grapple with his words, we will be crushed. We will be crushed. But if we come to Jesus, not seeking to justify ourselves, but seeking one to justify us, there is rest. There is the yoke that Jesus talks about that is light. There is rest and freedom. Jesus is the Samaritan. He justifies us by living the perfect life of perfect love. That perfect life of perfect love is counted to us, we are told. And his death is counted for our sin. Every debt we owe because of sin and every debt we can incur because of future sin is covered by the Savior, the neighbor, the Lord Jesus The hymn we sang this morning says, Because the sinless Savior, the perfect Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. The Savior, Jesus, loves God perfectly and he loves his neighbor perfectly. And that perfection is counted for those who have their faith in him. I mean, God, God the just looks on Christ's perfect life of love and perfect sacrificial life for his neighbor and counts that to you, to you who have faith in him. That high bar he sees you have reached because Christ's high reaching of that high bar is counted 
to you. Friends, isn't that good news? That is good news. If you feel the weight, I, I love to feel the weight of the call of this parable mount on me all week. And then it's like the release of the pressured air that just deflates all that weight when I realize that his perfect life is counted to me and his unjust death makes me justified. When perfect love like that is received, God sends his spirit inside of us and therefore the spirit in you is ready and willing and desires to pour out love like the Samaritan shows on the impoverished, poor, defiled Jewish man on the side of the road. We can't get there without God. We can't get there without experiencing that love and we can't get there without the spirit of love indwelling us to pour out that love on them. So I'm not saying don't try and live like the Good Samaritan. What I am saying is if you think or are tempted to think that living like the Good Samaritan will justify you, will save you, then you will be crushed by the weight of that call. But for those who have placed their faith in Christ, for those who have been saved and sent the Holy Spirit to live in them, you have access to the type of love that is displayed by the Good Samaritan. You are freed, even desirous to practice love in this way. And guess what? When you fail, not if, when you fail to love others, love your wife or love your kids or love your mom and dad or love your neighbor or love the homeless man on the street, when you fail, Jesus says, I already paid for that debt. I already paid for that failure too. But the love and forgiveness of Christ accepted through faith in him, faith that acknowledges how impossible it is to perfectly love, then you can start to love like the good Samaritan and love that is free. Love that, that our own justification isn't riding on. That is perfect love. Love that we don't have to get right in order to be justified before a holy God. That is perfect love. And when we, when we go to the table, which we're going to do in just a moment, when we, when we go feast and remember that Jesus gave his body and his blood to pay for that, it's there that we return in gratitude and love. And it's from there that we're sent in gratitude and love to be good Samaritans. Let's go to him and worship in prayer this morning. Let's run to the table of thanksgiving and grace this morning because it's there that we remember the sinless Savior died. My soul is counted free. God, the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. If you're like me, you need that reminder not just once a week. I'm, I'm glad we do that every week. I need it every day, every hour be reminded that I'm justified and the good news of those in Christ is as much as you look to him to get that reminder you will be told yes it is finished let's pray oh lord we we kneel at your cross and at your throne we run to your table of grace and thanksgiving and remember the cost Lord, we worship no dead man. If you were in a tomb, we would not be, I, I would not be praying to you. If you were in a tomb, we would not be gathered here today. If you were in a tomb, this would not be good news. And yet, 
we know that that tomb is empty and we worship the living God, the justifier whose justification is effective. Lord, that you see my sin no more is a grace to me this morning. I pray that anyone in the room who feels ashamed or feels the weight of sin, things that they've done that are of offense to you, or they feel the weight of sin, things that they've left undone in service to neighbor, Holy Spirit, would you whisper into their hearts, it is finished, stop, rest. Lord, you picked me up off the dirt, off the dirty road. Took me to the place of rest and paid for my stay there and paid for all debts that I would incur and and it was not two denarii. The cost was your very life. Oh, I worship you for that goodness. We worship you, Lord. We thank you. We're grateful that we come in gratitude together. In your name we pray. Amen.